Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Titus chapter 1, as we continue our study. Um, I was thankful to be away with my family last Sunday. Thank God for Pastor Jeff um, and uh, being able to share the Word of God with us. And um, thank you for loving on him the way that you did. I love our church um, and how we are so grateful for the teaching of the Word of God. Titus chapter 1 Uh, is where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back pocket there in front of you. Um, And as you are turning to Titus chapter 1, let me remind you, we are praying about We are praying for the person that we're going to invite to our Christmas Eve services, either Sunday morning or Sunday night. We are uh, uh, giving to kids locally and globally. We are going to be bringing toys Um, When you go out to Target or Walmart or wherever you're going to buy your toys or your Christmas gifts, just pick up an extra toy, bring it to the church, and we're going to be giving to kids here locally and to Maui as we are partnering with another church there to bless them this Christmas. And then as well, we're going to be um, giving to the home that you saw in Peru. And that home we have partnered with to minister to abused, abandoned, and neglected children in Cajabamba, Peru. And so that building that you see is a building that we've partnered with to house about 50 kids so that they can have a family and live in an apartment with a family like a normal Peruvian family and be able to be raised by Christian parents because they've been abused, abandoned, and neglected. And that's what you're a part of. So I want to say to God be the glory for Calvary Chapel South Bay. Amen. All right, Titus chapter 1, let's dig into the word. Father, we pray now before we dig in, that you would soften the hearts of all the men in this room. And I pray, Lord, that all of the women in this room would exhibit grace and mercy. And Lord, I pray that as we study about your ideal man, that you'd give us the grace to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I was just checking to see if any of the men got up to leave. (laughs) Titus has been called to set things in order in Crete. And we're going to see that that's going to be a huge undertaking. Uh, He was going to have to deal with insubordinate and deceiving people. That's difficult. He was going to have to deal with hypocrites and Christian employees who were stealing from their employers. Maybe they were stealing time or some of the product or even they were being unethical in their business practices. 
He was going to have to deal with people who were engaging in foolish arguments about genealogy. It was like the original 23andMe or Ancestry.com. They were just arguing about, well, <laughs> I want you to know I'm from Europe. Well, I want you to know I'm from, well, I want you to know I'm from Peru. I don't know what the argument was, but it was an argument about their pedigree. People were being divisive, and that's quite an undertaking to deal with divisive people. Let me tell you about divisive people. Do you remember learning division? Do you remember how difficult division was when you were learning how to do division? Well, let me tell you, it's very difficult to, be, to deal with divisive people because they don't care about what they say or what they do as long as they can get their way. That's divisive people. They don't care who they hurt along the way, even dividing churches, as long as they get their agenda across. So Titus, he's going to have to follow the direction that God gave Job. It's Job 38. Listen, you'll see it on the screen in three different versions. The New King James Version says, now prepare yourself like a man, Job. The ESV said to Job, God said to Job, dress for action like a man. The NASB, now gird up your loins like a man. In other words, get ready to fight, Job, because you and I are going to have a real conversation. Where were you when I created the ostrich? A bird who can't fly but can run faster than a horse. That's what God's argument to Job. He says, brace yourself like a man. Now, ladies, don't take this offensively and start writing me emails as if I'm saying that women aren't strong. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I'm not saying it at all. God is. God expects men to be men. Stand up and brace yourself like a man. That's what God told Job. Because men need to be ready to use their strength and their fortitude to deal with the issues of life. Let me tell you, Titus is a man. And he had some real issues to deal with that are very similar to our own culture. Do you remember what he said in Titus chapter 1? Maybe you'll take a look at it again. Take a look at Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of their own prophets, because you can only speak about your own culture, don't speak about someone else's culture. One of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Cretans were liars. They struggled with the truth of life. When it came to taxes, they cheated. When it came to honesty... The fish they caught was not this big. They exaggerated. It was this big. They were deceitful men. And our post-modern world is no different. We live in an age whereby there is an absolute distrust of absolute truth. In fact, in our age, it's even taught in our schools that everything can and ought to be critiqued in culture, even Christmas. Christmas. Social structures, religion, social moral standards are relative to someone's perception of their truth instead of absolute truth. In a sense, the world is, today is just like the book of Judges. 
Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Because the goal of humanism then, during the judge's time, during the first century world of Titus' time, the goal of humanism is to get rid of God so you can get rid of conviction so I can do whatever I want to do. This is why objecting to same-sex marriage is in the moral register of now being a racist. It's refusing to allow your children refusing to allow your children to change their biological sex is considered child abuse now in some states. And not using obvious pronouns like he and she for gender is now violating human rights. Think of the culture we live in where cross-dressing is now normal when only 30 years ago it was considered a psychological disorder. Our world has gone crazy. And Christians, Christians have a truth that can set people free from this confusion and offer, and can offer the grace, mercy, and love along the journey to become more and more like Christ. Cretans were liars. We live in that culture. But Cretans were evil beasts. They were evil beasts. They were mean, mad. They were angry. And have you noticed that every opinion is acceptable in our current culture as long as it's progressively liberal? Now, I'm not about to make a political statement at all. I'm about to communicate the reality of our experience. Just stand up in our world and say something Christian, and there will be a riot against you for standing for a biblical, moral truth. Look at the riots around our nation against the Jews because of the slaughter that happened on October 7th. Stop for just a moment and think about it. Because we got to be careful what the nation that we're living in. Because this is the same way that World War II started with the pogroms against the Jewish people. A Jewish man died in California from being hit on the head during an Israeli-Palestinian clash. It happened in our own state. Jewish students around our country are afraid to go to their university in the United States of America. Now listen, gang, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just pointing out the culture we're currently living in. It's a violent world. Should I mention school shootings? Should I mention the rise of crime in our own backyard? Cretans were evil beasts. But Cretans were also lazy gluttons. Lazy gluttons. Pastor Chet, don't go there. I brought a friend. Here I go. They were lazy gluttons. They were entitled. And they thought everything should just be given to them because they exist like pay off my student loan. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to pay off my child's student loan. My child made the decision to go to that college. You pay off that student loan. 
All the helicopter parents are not clapping. <laughs> Pleasure dominated the Cretan culture. It wasn't about hard work. It was about working just hard enough so you could have money to go on vacation. They believed they had a right to every amenity but had no responsibility to the community. They believed they were victims of someone in their past instead of allowing adversity to make them stronger like a football or a soccer practice prepares an athlete for the championship game. See, the world of Titus was no different than the world that we find ourselves in. And the first thing that Paul tells Titus to do, take a look, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders, male leadership, in every city as I commanded you. In Gardena, in Torrance, in San Pedro, in Long Beach. I want you to put spiritual leaders in every city. Only the women are clapping. This is the same advice that God gave Job. It's no different. Get men ready. Get men to brace themselves to deal with a difficult issue. It's the same advice God gave Job. Once again, this doesn't mean that women can't deal with difficult issues. (laughs) It doesn't mean that a woman can't be the president. It doesn't mean a woman can't be the boss. It doesn't mean a woman can't be the leader. It simply means what it says. God directed male leadership in the church. That's what this means. Now, at this point, I need to take a break. I need to take a little commercial break because some of the ladies are like, okay. (laughs) I need to take a little commercial break at this point and speak to the ladies before we talk to the guys. Because, ladies, you're next week. So don't get offended by this truth that God's established male leadership in the church. Let this truth set you free. You're not responsible for God in this matter. Ladies, you're free. You are free before God. It's your man's responsibility. Besides, if the men are honest, every man in this room knows that their strength comes from a stronger woman. None of the men clapped. (laughs) Gentlemen, if you don't believe it, think of the kind of man you are and the woman that's by your side that has stuck with you for so many years. Trust me, she's a stronger woman. In fact, Paul is going to deal with spiritual strength that's found in a woman in the next chapter. But ladies, listen, if you're a wife... As I teach this lesson, please don't go, mm-hmm. Don't do that through the whole service. Please don't do that. When I'm talking to your husband, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you doing this. I don't want you going, mm, are you listening? Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Because the kind of man that Titus was to look for was a man of character and a man of integrity. 
And what we're going to discover, there's no mention of the world's value, that he's got position, he's got prominence, he's got pedigree and posterity, he's got a portfolio. There's no mention of that. And ladies, as you listen, you may wonder, does the word define your husband or does the world define your husband? But please don't go, mm-hmm. don't do it. Because if you're married, the role of the wife is not to be the Holy Spirit, but to go to the Spirit and ask the Spirit of God to change the spirit of their husband. Only the husbands clapped on that one. Now, if you're a single woman, these are the qualities that you should be looking for in the man that you want to marry. Because what we're about to see is God's ideal man. Now, let me just say something obvious. God did create us. So if anyone knows how we are to operate optimally, it would be God. And what we're going to discover is what the Holy Spirit thinks, how a man can operate optimally. I don't know why the word's not coming out the way that it should, but you know what I'm trying to get across. You see, men all have a desire to achieve. Men all have a desire to be the best at something. And so what they'll do is they'll find other men to compete with in order to become what they desire. So if they like a sport, they're going to follow another guy to be better than him or at least try. If they are into cars or motorcycles, you know what guys do? They drive around all together on the highways to show that they're cooler than the bike or the car next to them. It's just what guys do. If they lift weights, they won't lift next to the guy that can lift more than them until they can lift more than them. But he's their goal. That's just what a guy is. So, gentlemen, listen. Since we're all looking for a hero, since we're all looking for someone to be like, why not be like God's ideal man and what God desires for us to become? Now, if you're a single mom, Listen up, ladies, if you're a single mom, don't become so independent that you're going to prove to the world you can do this on your own. I know he may have hurt you, but now you're part of a spiritual family and we want to come alongside you. We're not him. And I'm not saying that we're perfect, but why don't you give the church a try? You see, why not find a spiritual grandpa that fits the character of this ideal man to help you with your kids? Now, I want you to notice I said, Grandpa, don't you go up to that young-looking guy and say, can you help me raise my children? <laughs> Let all the single mothers say amen. <laughs> Two. Now, gentlemen, brace yourselves. I've cleared the air with the women, and I've made it safe for you to listen to what the Holy Spirit thinks is the ideal man. Take a look at this slide. What we're going to see is that God's ideal man is a family man, a godly man, and a disciplined man. Let's take a look at Titus chapter 1, verse 6. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife... 
having faithful children not accused of dissipation or rebellion or insubordination. You see, the very first thing, gentlemen, that I want you to see is God's optimal man, his ideal man, is he is a family man. His wife is the only woman in the world for him. So listen, if you're dating a guy and you're sitting in a restaurant and he's constantly looking at the waitress that walks by, get rid of him. (laughs) Say goodbye, fella. I'm going to go find one that looks at me and looks at me alone. Because this man is a one-woman man. He is a faithful husband to the wife that God has given him. Now listen, not only that, his children are well-behaved. His children are well-behaved. Let me tell you why they're well-behaved. Because God's optimal, ideal man, he took the Bible seriously. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, family men, and you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't frustrate them. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, I want to give you three examples of the training and admonition of the Lord. The first is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Take a look. You shall, listen dads, teach them the law of God diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Instead of looking your kids and saying, could you knock it off? Maybe say, be kind one to another. Speak the word of God into their life. You see, we're to teach our children. If you allow everyone else to teach them but you, don't complain at 16 years old when they want nothing to do with you. Let me give you another example. See, we are to raise our children to fear and admonition of the Lord. Take a look at Joshua's decision as a dad. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ramorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, as I'm the dad of my home, we will serve the Lord. So why not this Christmas? Go to Target with your kids. Buy a gift together so that we can send to the children of Maui. Serve the Lord together as a family. That was Joshua's decision. Listen, dads. He was a family man. Let me give you another example. It's 3 John chapter 4. The Bible says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. You see, if you're God's ideal man, your greatest joy is investing into your kids, not your hobby. Ladies, do not do it. Mm -hmm, Don't do it. You see, Paul would use this example of this kind of father in a relationship to the church. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he's speaking of himself like as the dad of the church. And he says this, as you know how we exhorted, so we encouraged you, and comforted, so I had to sometimes give you a hard word, but then I gave it to you softly, and I charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
You see, a family dad, a family man, is a dad who's strong enough to lovingly deal with the issues in their home. They're not walking away from them. They're dealing with them in a matter of love, just like the Apostle Paul. Now, let me explain the huge impact that fatherlessness is having in our world today. I don't know if you know this, but in the United States of America, one out of four children live in a home without a dad in the United States of America. One out of four. In L.A., it's one out of three. One out of four nationally, one out of three in L.A. The Texas Department of Corrections recently did a study. Listen to this. 85% of youth that are incarcerated grew up in a fatherless home. You don't think it's having an impact? Pew Research, they just did uh, a survey, 43% listened to the anti-biblical stance. 43%, almost one out of two of fathers in the United States of America do not see their role as something that's important to their personal identity. Studies have shown that value of a child The behavior of a child, conduct, academic performance, their stability, physical health are all affected when they grow up in a fatherless home. Number two, ladies, you're doing great. Now remember, have grace and mercy because you're next week. Okay? Look at the next verse, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless. So the elder, the leader must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Number two, if you take a note, the ideal man of God, he's a disciplined man. There's a couple things I want you to notice. The first one is this. It's the second time the word blameless has been used. Second time it's been used. First was time in verse 6. Now it's the second time. So whenever the Spirit says a word twice, we need to take twice as much recognition of it. This word blameless, I'm going to show you on the screen two different verses to help you understand what it means. It's 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you have consistently lived a life that honors Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.10. But let these also first be tested, so over a period of time, then let them serve as deacons being found, after a period of time, being found blameless. You see, this word blameless, this word has the idea that he's a man that consistently makes right decisions. He recognizes that his role is as a steward of God. In other words, listen, gentlemen. I'm responsible to God for all the decisions that I make with his stuff, with his people, in his place that he put me. I'm a steward of God in San Pedro. I'm a steward of God in Gardena. 
I'm a steward of God in Carson. I'm a steward of God with the wife that's been given to me, the children that have been given to me. I'm a steward of God. But there's something else I want you to notice. It's the second thing. I'm going to read it again and maybe with a little bit more emphasis that they are not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Did you notice all the knots? Not, 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 not. See, God's ideal man is not controlled by anything, but is disciplined in everything. That's God's ideal man. Let me give you an example. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Now, don't send me emails. I just think the New Living Translation is giving us a better understanding in this particular verse. Okay, take a look. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize. Very obvious truth. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Gentlemen, do you know the race that you're in? The race that you're in, you're a man. That's your race. It's obvious. You're a man. The race that you're in for your whole life is you are called to be a biblical man. So here's what Paul's saying. Why not fight to be the best biblical man that you can be? Why not be God's ideal man? So he says, take control of your pride. That's what it means to be self-willed. Take control of your pride. Don't have to have the best and the better. You're almost bankrupt because you're trying to keep up with everyone else's car and bike. I was just testing the ladies. You're doing great. (laughs) Take control of your temper. Because God's ideal man is not quick-tempered. Can I ask you a question, gentlemen? What has the temporary release of your anger done but provide nothing but negative long impact? He says, take control of your addictions. Don't be given to wine. Don't be given to TV. Don't be given to you name whatever it is. Don't be given over to an addiction. Don't let anything or any substance control you. He then says, take control of your actions. Don't be violent. You see, God's ideal man doesn't use his strength. Come walking in the room as a Montezimo big old man. Here I am. I'm a big man. You better listen to me. I'm a man. I don't even talk a grunt. Imagine Jesus going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. Oh, I'm a man. <laughs> Beat me again. <laughs> Come on. God's ideal man doesn't use his strength for control. He, control. he controls his strength to show how strong he is. You see, Jesus called himself meek power under control. 
Think of all his power that he had. Do you remember what he told Pilate? I can call down 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. Power under control. Finally, gentlemen, we're almost done. You're doing great. Titus chapter 1, would you look at verse 8? But, maybe you circle that word. He's not this, not this, not this, but he is this. He's hospitable. A lover of what's good. Sober-minded, just. Circle this word, holy, self-controlled. Holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. We need to notice the word but. It indicates a comparison. He's not these things, but he is these things. God's ideal man is not worldly. He's different. God's ideal man is holy. He's a godly man. He's a godly man. See, this word holy is interesting. He prefers to be more like God than the world. Listen to what Peter says. He says it so much better than I do, and it comes with a lot more power from the apostle Peter. But as he who's called you is holy, since God's holy, you be holy in all, not some. Did you hear, gentlemen? In all your conduct, because it's written, be holy, for I'm holy. God's ideal man is a godly man. So let's stop for just a minute and take a look at the difference. God's ideal man is hospitable. He's hospitable. He cares about the needs of people. He's not someone who could care less about people. He's hospitable. When he's walking in his neighborhood, hey, how you doing, neighbor? Hey, neighbor, how you doing? Come on, Chad, are you serious? I'm just telling you, he's hospitable. God's ideal man is a lover of what is good. He loves what God loves, and he hates what God hates. He doesn't love to watch or love to listen to ungodly things. He doesn't love to do ungodly things. In fact, he detests whatever it is that God detests. God's ideal man, he's sober-minded. He purposes not to make emotional decisions. The purpose is to pray and discover and discern the decision that God wants him to make, even at great cost to himself. God's idea, man, is just. Now, I want to put a picture up here to give you an idea of what this means. This is a first century scale, and the just is a balancing of the scales. So when he says God's ideal man is just, the weight of his scale are always balanced with the word of God. He's not concerned about public opinion. He's concerned about God's opinion and what God thinks. And he weighs every decision based on the word of God. It's God's ideal man. God's ideal man is self-controlled. You see, God's ideal man is aware of his weaknesses. He's aware. So he surrounds himself with accountability. 
He put things in his life so that he can strengthen his weak areas. So if he lacks self-control, he purposes to be controlled in every area of his life so that when his weakness arises, he's put self-control into action. Being self-controlled is purposing to let God be your master and not yourself be your master. Finally, God's ideal man holds fast. He holds on to the word of God. In other words, he's got a strong working knowledge of God's word. He, He reads the word of God so we can learn how to operate optimally. Just as God intended for him. He learns from the mistakes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And gentlemen, if you just went, who's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's a problem. (laughs) He learns from the mistakes of David, Solomon, and the spiritual leadership in the Old Testament. He gains insight on the successes of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. He purposes to dig into the deep things of Christ so we can discover what does the optimal man look like. I want to be like Jesus. And he puts it into practice of his own. Take a look at the slide. God's ideal man. He's a family man. God's ideal man is a disciplined man. God's ideal man is a godly man. All right, ladies. You get to drive home with your husband. (laughs) Let's remember, you're not the Holy Spirit. So when you get in the car and the first thing you say is, what did you think of the message? Remember, you're next week. God's ideal for everyone in this room is that you know Him as your Savior and Lord. That's the first step. Everything after that point You have the Holy Spirit to help you to become. Now, gentlemen, listen. I know there's some of you in this room and there's a sense of conviction in your heart. I had to prepare the message. And I'm a man. When I do the ladies' message, a piece of cake. I can't wait to do that one. I'm going to give it to you. All the men are like, when is that? I want to be here. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Our Father, I come before you now in the name of Jesus, so thankful for the work of your Spirit in this room. You could sense the Spirit of God moving in the heart of men. And Lord, I believe that one of the first steps to change is humility.
And I know there's a lot of men that need to take that step of faith. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would move even now. The Holy Spirit commissioned Titus to put leaders in every city. I don't know where each of you men live, but imagine if you took the responsibility of becoming the leader that God's calling you to be, how our world could change in L.A. And so men, it's your week. And if there was a sense of conviction in your heart, I'm going to ask you to take a humble step. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I'm speaking to the men. And come and kneel with me at this altar. And say today, today's my first step. It's a step of humility to become God's ideal man. I don't expect every guy to come up here because some of you are doing it great. But I believe this step of humility will not only change this church, but will change this city. Scanlon's going to lead us in song. If the Spirit moves in you, I'll meet you here. Trust me, your wives are praying for you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.